Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Monday Morning Deep Dish. I'm Shepard Price, and with me today, uh, a new, relatively new addition to the Second City Podcast Network, but uh, our our boss man, uh, Matt Lucas. Matt, please say hi to the people. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Uh, Matt, we're going to talk about systems and sort of the X's and O's of the game as you're sort of more experienced in that area uh tell people where you sort of come from and your ba- about your background sure uh so when i was three years old uh, my dad got got me some skates uh you know rented some skates out for me and i remember him taking me to johnny's ice house um and he just literally just kicked me onto the ice with a bunch of other older kids that knew how to skate already slammed the door in my face and just said go figure it out um and ever since then i've loved the game i've been playing you know, for 20, 21 years, 22 years competitively. And then I moved on to men's league, which is the uh, inevitable uh, demise of everybody's career um, in, in hockey. At some point, everyone goes into the men's league. And I'm, I'm, I've been doing that for the past three years, and that's been really fun. But um, I played AAA um, with the Chicago Young Americans, with this, which is a team out in the suburbs. Um, it's part of this kind of group of highly competitive teams that play in – it used to be called the Midwest Elite Hockey League with five teams from Detroit, you know, a few teams from Illinois, Team Illinois, Chicago Americans, which I played for, uh, the, the, the Fury, as well as the Mission. Um, Mission TI, Team Illinois, were always the best teams, and they always made it to, you know, state finals and, and then nationals and things of that nature. But um, from what I remember from my time, it just – I loved the game, and – I uh, saw this, this opportunity at Second City, and I thought it was the best idea for me to just kind of uh, showcase my my knowledge of the of the game and everything that I've learned in my 20 plus years of playing hockey, and just kind of uh, demonstrate my passion and and let that come out in in my words and in my articles. And I, I hope I've been doing that. Uh, it's it's the the best game in the world. Um, and after you play it, um, you really you really get to see how hard how hard it is to play at this NHL level. Um, just watching. It looks slower on TV, but at game speed, you know, those guys are making millisecond decisions with the puck. And there's so many times when, it, when a play looks very simple, um, but in, in reality, it's incredibly challenging. And, and we're lucky to have players like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Duncan Keith, and these type of players be able to watch every single night because they do do things that I don't think I would ever do. And I would absolutely hurt myself if I tried to do some of the things that Kane did on ice. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, Hockey's been, so, been part been part of my part of my life ever since I could walk, and um, I'm glad that I've been able to to find this this job with Second City Hockey and kind of just expand my expand my love for the game, the passion for the game with everybody that reads it, and 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 with my team here at Second City. Awesome. And so Chicago Mission, going back to that, that's sort of where all the Chicago-born players sort of yeah. developed. Through, right? Yeah, like Nick Smalls played. Yeah, Hennis yeah. Hennisrova. Uh, then there was. 
uh, JT Coffer on Team Illinois. Uh, Anthony Lewis was also on Team Illinois. He was part of the Blackhawk system for a while, but I think he got traded over to, to the Hurricanes or went to the uh, AHL affiliate for the Hurricanes. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of talent in, in especially my birth year, the 90, 1995 birth year. Uh, a lot of the top um, prospects came from the Detroit teams in that in that uh, in that birth year. If you look at the draft, um, I think it was maybe four or five years ago, but a handful of guys from this team in Detroit called Honey Baked uh, had a number of players selected in the first or second round, and it just was a great com- great co- uh, competition, and, and it really taught me uh, what it takes every single year and every single day how hard it is to really get to the show, get to the NHL. And, and when I was about 15, 16, I kind of decided to just take the school route and I wanted to get a, get a degree. And I just kind of, I could have taken the junior hockey route, but I decided against it and just stuck with school. And it was a really great decision. And I, you know, sometimes I regret it when I look at, I've been watching hockey, you know, every single night. And sometimes I look at it, I'm like, damn, I, I could have done this. But um, in the end, it was a great decision. And I'm, I'm very happy where I am right now. Perfect. With that said, uh, so you're sort of, you have that expert analysis. How would, let's jumping into the Blackhawks. Sure. How would you evaluate the job Jeremy Carlton has done so far this year? Um, so far this year, I, um, if you want to give it like a letter grade, I'd probably give him a C um, right now. Um, I think he's, he's struggled really, really hard with um, connecting with the veterans that have been on the team for such a long time, especially Taze, Seabrook, Keith, um, and, and uh, I mean, Kane's kind of a unique player because he doesn't really have to fit into the system per se. And I'm not saying like he's, you know, completely against the system when he's out there, but he is kind of a unique player where he can just, if he has the puck on a stick, he can kind of do whatever he wants with it. And you don't really see him often like uh, play that strong defensively or really put a lot of, you know, hundred percent of his effort into defensive play in the zone. He kind of like looks for a opportunity to kind of strike um, when there's a turnover or something like that. So uh, but when you think about, you know, Taze, Keith, and Seabrook, there, there's been so many times uh, when you just kind of see them revert back to that old system that Quinville had, which was more of a hybrid uh, zone system in the defensive zone. So there's been a lot of times where you'll see, like, Taze maybe on the wrong side of the puck or he's, like, trying to guard someone around the net and doesn't actually, for some reason, they get completely open back door because he's going to the same player that another defenseman is going to in front of the net. And all of a sudden like, what the hell just happened? How did this, how could this possibly happen? We've been teaching this since training camp and they've had like a full year to, to figure this out. But a lot of times those decisions are, are in milliseconds, right? And it's hard to, after 10 years, 11 years of playing for, for one coach, it's really, really hard to suddenly switch that part of your brain off and, and do what, what Carlton is trying to do, which has been a little bit more of a man system to start. He wanted to kind of bring in more defenders into the slot area and try and keep, keep uh, the opponents from having any type of high danger opportunities or scoring chances around the blue paints or in that kind of that house formation that's in, inside the, the circle dots and the slots. Um, and, and it's just been, it's been a, interesting it's been interesting to watch I mean there's been there's been games like against the Dallas Stars and we had that three nothing shutout where it seemed like the defensive zone structure was completely solid and and there was no uh there's no not a lot of breakdowns very minimal breakdowns but then there's some games like against the Colorado Avalanche where all of a sudden you see like Nathan McKinnon in the high slot completely wide open for a one-timer and just buries it easily and and you have all these you have seven goals against or 
or five goals against or whatever it is, or even against that Nashville game where they had a three nothing defeat that should have been at least 10, nothing if they didn't have Robin Lehner in the, in the net. So it's just been really strange to see that there's like this disconnect for some reason with, with Carlton's strategy and his defensive zone structure. For some reason, there's been times where it looks great and, and everyone's on the same page, but then there's times where maybe a turnover happens or someone makes a bad pass on a breakout and all of a sudden it just turns into chaos. And, um, I would have to say so far he has a C. Like I, I do think we needed some more physicality and some more grit. Um, I, I know a lot of reader on the commenters on Second City always use grits and stuff, but it really is a it is a term in hockey that's always been used. Like the third and fourth liners are supposed to have this kind of gritty style. If you think about Andrew Shaw, he has this kind of gritty style where he doesn't care if he gets slashed, cross checked, whatever it takes to get the puck in the net or go to the front of the net or you know the wind pucks in the in the corner. You need some of that on a team, to bet, especially when you're in March or April and fighting for a playoff spot. And if you get into the playoffs, that style of hockey is is vital uh, to success. So it was good to get, you know, so you've seen it with Smith, uh, Carpenter, uh, Kajula, Shaw. Those kind of guys bring that physicality and that grit where they just, no matter what, will finish their checks, go hard to the net, and it doesn't matter what happens. If the defensemen are slashing them, cross-checking them in the back, they'll take it. And you need those kind of players on the team. So. Uh, Colleton seemed like since last year or during the summer, I remember some podcasts that he had, he, he really wanted more of that type of style of play. Um, and Bowman did the job and brought a few of those players over. So I do agree that that, that was a good decision. He did need some of that on the bottom six. We didn't have a lot of size. We didn't have a lot of physicality and that was really hurting us last year. Um, so, but like I said earlier, um, I do, I do still think it's a C, and I think the main reason for the C grade is I think some of his line combinations have not been very optimized. Uh, if you think about the first line, I'm not really sure why Nylander is still up there. Uh, he hasn't really done much in the past. Uh, I'm to bring up his, his stats. Like 10, 10 maybe, 12 games. Yeah. Yeah, 10, 12 games. He's very, very little production. Um, he had those two kind of garbage time goals against Nashville. Um, but since then, he hasn't scored. He has – two goals uh, on November 16th against Nashville. And since then he has one assist um, and yeah. he's been a minus five. He only has 17 shots and he's been averaging around 13 minutes of ice time. Um, so I think that first line could be optimized better. And maybe with Don Sakura being recalled today um, on, on Sunday, uh, that maybe he's going to slot into that, that first line with Sod and Taze. And that's a line that we saw have some success last year at the end of the season. Um, where they, you know, had very, very solid possession metrics, but for some reason, Sakura can never bury the puck. So hopefully at some point, Carlton, you know, shuffles that first lineup, maybe gives Sakura a look, maybe gives Dominic Kubelik a look up there, or maybe even uh, Andrew Shaw when he comes back from concussion protocol. Um, I just think that we need some new blood up there. Taze and Saad um, both need to start producing for this, for this offense to kind of skyrocket. Because um, you already you have the second line of Debrinkat, Kane, and Strom, which I really like. Uh, they create so much offense, and they're very dangerous, and they're so skilled. Um, so I think you keep that line intact, but maybe the first line needs a little bit of a remodeling job. How going back to the defensive adjustments you've talked about? How do you how does Colleton sort of break up that defense? How does he sort of like reinstall values and basics into them, and sort of adjust and fix those problems that we're seeing? Yeah, so when it comes to adjusting to fixing, he's definitely made a clear adjustment um, since the beginning of the you know, first maybe 15 games. Um, if you look at some highlights and just kind of look at – Scott Powers actually talk, from The Athletic talked about this in one of his articles. He showed some pretty clear highlights about what the changes were. But essentially, 
in the first 15 games or so, he was really stuck on this kind of man-to-man system or maybe slightly hybrid zone man system um, where he would have four, four forwards kind of drop down – or not four forwards, four players drop down into the low slot. Um, so you have like the, the strong side – I think it was the weak side winger actually. Weak side winger would come down into the slot and try and kind of take away a forward – an opponent's forward that was kind of lurking there looking for a, uh, you know, a pass or a one-timer opportunity. Um, but the problem with that was that it made it really hard for the Blackhawks to transition out of the zone once they got a turnover or once, you know, um, they had an opportunity to, to, to break the puck out. It was really slow. And what usually would happen is you had, you know, one of the wingers get the puck and basically have a one-on-three against the, against the opponents in the, in the neutral zone. And all they had to do, all they could do was, was dump the puck in. And that's what you saw, you know, especially in that San Jose game before the switch was made into a new kind of new adjustment, adjusted system. But before then, all you kind of see was this boring kind of style of, you know, break the puck out very slowly. One player has the puck. Everyone's tired from defending for the last 45 seconds. So all you can do is just essentially just dump the puck in and, and get a change. And we rarely had any offensive zone entries that were clean and, 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 and had an odd, or any odd men rushes, like three and two rushes or four and three rushes into the zone because all four of our four of our players were kind of stuck down low in the defensive zone. Um, so, but since then, um, since that San Jose game, I think it was like a four-two loss, uh, maybe late October. I can't remember the exact date. But since then, um, they've kind of opened up the transition style um, offense in the neutral zone as well as in the defensive zone. So instead of bringing that weak side winger into the slot, into the high slot they've kind of positioned him a little bit higher out into the near the blue line so that he can be an outlet for a pass. It also, he's also um, made the winger that's on the strong side, which means the puck has been, is being played and there's like a battle for the puck on that side. He's a strong side winger. Um, he's kind of also, instead of creeping down low, he's also kind of uh, increased his spacing between the, between the faceoff dot and the circle and the blue line. So he's kind of gotten close to that blue line, forcing that defenseman to kind of stick with him which opens up a little more space for the center to swing down low and, and possibly either be an outlet for the defenseman and get a, get a quick short pass where she can then either give an outlet to that weak side winger that's a little bit higher on the opposite side of the, of the ice or to that winger that um, is, has been creeping up towards the blue line on the strong side a little bit um, more than in the past. So there's now, instead of having kind of one or two options, which is either to skate the puck and, and dump it in or simply just hit the center, now you have basically three options. You can either, the defenseman can either pass it to the center that's swinging down low. The center can then pass it to the, one of those two wingers. The defenseman can also choose not to pass that center if he's covered either and give it to that strong side winger that's a little bit higher. Or the defenseman can make a really, you know, if he has a, if it's an open pass, he can make that pass um, across ice, which is most of the time not, not advised. But if there's an open pass, like sometimes Gus Spen has done it a lot, where he'll make a perfect pass right to tape to tape on that weak side winger that's kind of either ready in the neutral zone. And then you can start a, a quick transition the other way, maybe get catch the other team in a, in a change and, and, and kind of get like a three-on-two rush or some type of on-mat rush into the offensive zone, or at least a clean zone entry into the offensive zone. And it, it's really paid dividends. You've seen some of the offense explode since that change. And obviously there's times when um, you're not going to, there's going to be games where you just can't score and it's just, it just happens. But, um, there's been a clear, there's been a clear change in the strategy and I got to say, it's definitely, it's definitely panned out. Um, it was, it's a lot more fun to watch them. Yeah. Like maybe the, this new transition style, this more aggressive style of play might lead to more high danger chances against, but 
like that's what we did last year and we were on um for most of the most of the season we were on a pace of you know around like 100 points 100 point pace with that style of play and and that's what our and that's what our top six is kind of geared for we have taze kane sod um to bring cat these guys need to have high quick transition speedy speedy aggressive breakouts to 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 produce and if if he tried to revert back to that old system which was you know slow transitions uh focus completely on defense in the in the high slot and low slot in the defensive zone and not have a lot of options on those breakouts it's really deters the, the offensive potential of that top six um so it's been a, it's been a really nice change to see and that he's adapted and his isn't you know so stubborn with his uh he might be stubborn with his line combinations, but yeah. it's, at least he was able to see that there needed to be some evolution in his in his game plan, and, and it's definitely worked out. What? Uh, so you talked about how they had four four men deep, and that sort of was getting them off to bad offensive zone transitions. But what was that sort of trying to prevent? And did you see that defense actually preventing things? And if so, do you mm-hmm. see that the defense still able to prevent as much? So if they were trying to, to prevent high danger chances, do you still see them as being able to prevent those? Or is that something that's just going to have to happen um, as, they, I, as they transition to a more offensive style? So, I mean, honestly, if you look at the, if you look at the stats, like compared to the rest of the, rest of the league we're still pretty pretty poor when it comes to to high danger chances against i think we're let me look bear with me one second yeah right now we are fifth fifth worst when it comes to giving up high danger scoring chances um so i mean i think it's just like i said kind of earlier it's just kind of what we're gonna have to expect from this team um the defensive zone when it was four guys deep Sure, maybe they're giving up less goals, but you could tell that the offensive side was completely diminished. Like we were scoring maybe two or three goals a game, and uh, Pat Foley actually brought up something the other night where they, the win against uh, the win against the Devils was the first win of the year where we haven't scored four goals. Um, so it, it's kind of a tough question because yes, like we obviously need a better defensive zone structure, but. Do you, would you rather, you know, diminish the offensive potential of this team where we have, you know, the likes of Strom, DeBrinca, Kane, Taze, Saad, Dominic Kubelik? You have all these guys that, you know, have a lot of upside offensively. And by, and by having this kind of defensive zone structure, you know, defensive zone mindset where you want to have as many people um, kind of blocking any type of uh, high danger opportunity uh, from the high slot or low slot, it's, it kind of diminishes the offensive potential of this team. And sometimes offense, having a great offense is the best defense. And if you can spend time in the offensive zone, um, wearing down the defenders and and forcing them to make crappy passes on on breakouts or even on neutral zone breakouts where they have no other option to because they're so tired from defending the Blackhawks for the last 45 seconds, all I can do is dump it in and then we can get a quick transition out the other way and stay out of our defensive zone. Um, that's what was kind of like the goal with this offensive zone kind of, or offensive, more aggressive approach that Carlton's been taking. Um, but honestly, like the biggest problem is, is our, de- our kind of our, our defense, our defense is just not, it's not good enough. Not, it's, 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 it's not, it's, I, 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 I want to like try and be positive about it. Cause there are some, like, we got some great prospects coming up in the pipeline with Bogfist, Bowden, you know, Gilbert has been looking really great lately. Um, with his physicality and just kind of has looked great since his uh, 
he had an early demotion and then he kind of came back and he's, he's, these last two games, he's looked very strong. Um, so we got some excitement there, but right now we just don't have, <sighs> trying to get the, the right words to come out, you know, um, the, the, it just, the, just... the present isn't as bright as the future is. Exactly. Um, like, yes, this system could work with the right, with the right lineup. You may be a little bit more speed on the back end. You have, you know, you have Seabrook that's a little bit, not as, you know, is kind of slow footed and, and Mata as well, and DeHaan is also a little bit slow-footed, and you can really tell that this team on the, def- on the defense has kind of slowed down since Duncan Keith um, got hurt. He was our kind of our quickest – him and Gustafson was our, were our quickest uh, skaters on the back end. Um, so we seems like Bowman and Carlton have kind of decided to bring in these – bring in kind of more stable, kind of calm defenders in, in Ole Mata and Calum DeHaan, which kind of doesn't really align with this, this quick transition – um, you know, structure in the defensive zone and neutral zone where we want to have defenders that can skate with the puck up. That's why Gustafson and, Gustafson and uh, you know, who was the other guy I was talking about just now? Keith. Duncan Keith. Yeah, Duncan Keith, like those guys are the ones that would excel in this type of system. Um, but it's just we don't, we, don't have, we don't have enough speed on the back end and that, and that causes – odd man rushes for the other team because you have maybe a defender going into the offensive zone, joining the rush. And then if there's a turnover, they can't get back in time. And you have, you know, Seabrook trying to lay out and dive and block two on one pass, like his Patton and dive on a two on one. But um, I think there's promise and there's a lot to be excited about with the Blackhawks. But for right now, I think fans are just going to have to accept that we're going to give up our good shares of chances in the high slot and high danger opportunities. We're going to, we're going to give up goals. We're going to, and even with, you know, Laner and Crawford have been amazing, but there's going to be these weeks where you're going to have progression in the save percentages, right? They can't be at 940 all the time. Um, so you're yeah. going to have weeks where there's going to be a lot of goals against, and it's going to be kind of like those super emotional reactions where it's like, oh my God, this team sucks. Like we're, we're going nowhere with this defense. Like we're, we're like the worst, <laughs> we're going, we're not, we're not doing anything like right all about like blame it all on Carlton and, and Bowman. But, they're kind of just kind of playing the, the cards that they've been dealt. You know, Seabrook has an untradeable contract. Keith is not going anywhere. Um, like, you, he, and he saw that, and he was like, okay, so what are we going to do? And he, he used, used some assets to get um, Calvin DeHaan and uh, Oli Mata in return. You know, you traded Dominic Cahoon, who could have been great on the third line for us this season, um, to get Oli Mata. And honestly, I don't, I don't mind the trade after it. Like, Mod has been pretty solid. Um, he's, and, and Dominic Kubelik's effectively replaced Cahoon, too. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Dominic Kubelik's basically just uh, a, who knows, might be a better version of Cahoon in the long run. He has a little bit more offensive upside. So, in the end, it was kind of like a, a pick. Do you pick someone that's a little bit better at driving possession and kind of a little bit more, um, you know, formidable in the defensive zone with Cahoon? Or do you, do you kind of you trade him for – for someone that could some add some depth and experience, he, you know, Oli Mata, I think, ready has won two Stanley Cups at like 24 or 25, right? So he's got a long career ahead of him. Um, and he can still, you know, evolve his game and get even better. Um, so in the end, like, like I said earlier, it's just kind of Bowman was, was playing with the cards that he was dealt. And he saw that, you know, Seabrook and Keith, they're around $11 million in salary cap. And there was no way that he's going to get rid of that. So he tried to bring in pieces to add, um, and help out as much as possible on that back end with Ole Mata and Calvin DeHaan. And those guys are going to be, they're not, they're not like, you know, 
Cal McCarr, or these guys that have so much speed now on the defensive end, right? It's, right. it's they're going to be a little bit more defensive zone structured and and have more experience in the back end, which with which will help this team in the long run. And until we start bringing in these prospects that are you know 18, 19 in the AHL and and and, and juniors right now, we're gonna we're kind of going to have to just accept that the our defense is just not going to be the the fastest. It's going to give up odd man rushes. It's going to give up high danger opportunities, but that's why we brought in Robin Lehner, and that's why we have Corey Crawford, two of like the best goalies in the in the NHL right now. Um, right. And we're just gonna have to accept it as fans. This is what we're gonna be watching, and and to be honest, it's pretty exciting hockey. Um, yeah. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament tonight. We'll break down. We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snacket. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Speaking of that exciting hockey, the, the Blackhawks and, and how important the offense will be with, with the, def, the given defensive uh, functions. Um, what did, uh, why did we start out with a dump and chase sort of mentality? And then uh, what sort of changes led to the new increased uh, carry-in? And why, why does the carry-in work better for this team than the yeah. dump and chase did? Well, I think, like I was talking about earlier, um, the dump and chase was kind of the only option our forwards got because of the defensive zone structure that Carlton wanted initially. Um, we basically only had one or two guys that were able to rush with the puck into the neutral zone after – after a turnover or a breakup pass to one of our defensemen. So our only option really was the dump and chase. And I think what Colleton was hoping for was to use these kind of like bottom six lines that have a lot of grit and more physicality than they have been in the past to try and wear down um, the other team's defenders and other team's forwards and, and constantly having to play in the defensive zone. But the problem with the dump and chase is that you got goalies now in the NHL that are so good with the puck um, and playing the puck that basically unless you perfectly dump the puck in into a corner or, you know, wrap it around the boards to a guy that's to one of our forwards that are, is pushing into the zone to pick it up. Um, most of the time, the players that are dumping the puck in are usually going to change. So they don't really, they're not really thinking about, you know, placing the puck in a certain area of the, of the offensive zone. So most of the time they just wrap it around the boards. The goalie is going to pick it up and give it to one of his defensemen or forwards. And it's going to be a quick transition out of the zone before our, a full line change can happen. So it's just going to be easy, easy defensive zone breakouts for the other team. And you saw that kind of you, you all saw it occurring right it was just really boring hockey to watch um and then when that change happened you could see the offensive just offense kind of just exploded for a couple games there and the carry-in is is just it's going to work 
and gel a lot more with that top six uh, that I've been talking about. You know, you have Taze, Saad, Payne, Debrinkat, Strom. Those guys are playmakers with the puck. They want the puck on the stick. They don't want to give it up by dumping the puck in and, and losing possession. They want to be able to use their skills, use their stick handling skill sets, and use their kind of like their hockey IQ to, to make plays at the blue line. And you've been seeing a lot of times they'll, um, let's say, you know, Kane is driving up the wall with a puck in the neutral zone. You'll see Strom or Debrinkat also going up a speed and trying to, to create a two-on-one opportunity on one of those defensemen that are on the blue line. So instead of dumping the puck in, they'll either chip the puck softly off the wall, right, to the speeding, to either the speeding to Debrinkat or Strom or whoever it is into the zone, and you can keep possession. Um, or you can make a nice little soft pass between, between that defenseman's stick to the, to the forward that's, that's exploding through that middle of those two defensemen at the blue line. And it's been working, it's been working pretty well, and you, you'll definitely notice it um, in games if you, if you play, pay close attention. They've made a clear change. No more dumping in. Only when it's, you know, sometimes obviously dumping the puck in is going to be necessary. You need a change or you have no other option. But instead of it doing all the time and it kind of being ingrained in their minds where they have to dump the puck, like dump the puck in, like that's, that's what we're doing. We're going to dump the puck in and like try and hustle our way to get the puck back or, or grind our way to get the puck back. Instead, Colleton's like, we have all this skill. We have all this, this speed up front, all this kind of playmaking ability up front, especially in the, in the top six and even in the, in the third line now with Kubalik. Um, so why not, why not utilize that? Why not optimize that? So instead of, you know, thinking, dump in first why don't we expose a defenseman that is kind of flat-footed at the blue line or you know skating backwards and use some speed to kind of create a two-on-one opportunity or even a you know a, a three-on-two or a four-on-three rush let the defenseman from our team join the rush and, and try to create odd man opportunities and that's and and that's the honestly with this new defensive zone more aggressive approach to breaking out that is going to be the result. And it seems like we've been adapting really well to it and evolving our offensive zone tack to that um, new strategy. And if you just watch the game, you'll see a ton of times where uh, DeBrincat and Strom kind of create a two-on-one opportunity at the blue line, a very quick two-on-one to get into the zone. Or Patrick Kane kind of drives hard into the net, brings that defenseman back with him, and then kind of pulls up and looks for a late, a late man, either the third forward high or a defenseman that's coming into the zone for a quick shot. Um, you see that with like, Connor Murphy a lot, actually. He's done a great job doing that. You mean Colin DeHaan has been, has been uh, you know, adding some offensive zone time where he kind of joins the rush and kind of, you know, circles around the, circles around the offensive zone looking for a pass or just a shot on net. You know, Eric Gustafson obviously is, is very good at that. And this, this change in uh, defensive zone structure has kind of opened up his offensive game where he's joining the rush a lot more. He's, he's skating the puck up out of the zone when there's no options to pass and he's, joining the offensive zone attack and creating four on threes and, and three on twos and joining and joining the rush. And it, it just, the change was necessary. It's, it's more in tune with what our lineup is and what our, our, our players on our team are. Um, the dump and chase is meant for, I, I don't know. It, it's just not, the, it's not the style of play anymore in the NHL. It's something that was probably a big, big part of the game when Colleton was playing and back in, you know, 15, 20 years ago when there's a lot of hooking and grabbing, um, but not anymore. Like you need to, you need to use speed. You need to use your skill set. You need to use, you need to stick handling abilities that everybody has now, which um, is, is the only way. And it's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a nice change. It's been a refreshing change to watch. And it's just more exciting, more exciting hockey.
Speaking of exciting hockey and, and well, the relative lack of it for one of the aspects of the Blackhawks uh, yeah. play this season, what does the power play get wrong and how do you fix it? What, what changes um, need to I would, be made? I would immediately get rid of that drop pass, man. I, I cannot stand when we have three forwards at the blue line or in the neutral zone just standing still waiting for Taze or Gustafson to drop the puck back to Kane, who then tries to stick handle through three guys and sometimes it gets – you know, sometimes it gets picked off or like he'll try to stick out to three guys and then pass to one of the forwards on the wall that is standing still to, to join, to enter the zone. And it's just, it's just so, it's so readable. Like all, all the other, the penalty cards have to do is just kind of focus on Kane or focus on, on, um, focus on breaking up that pass into the zone because they know it's going to happen every single time. When you, when I watched the, the avalanche, um, Basically, Cal McCarr would get the puck um, behind the net. He would wait for kind of his team to come back and regroup with him up with speed. And he would just skate the puck, and he would force one of the penalty killers to, to attack him, which opens up the, the, opens up a passing lane on either his right or left side, depending on how the four-checker is going. But it just takes one of those, those four-checkers out of that four-man penalty killing unit and forces them to attack the skater with the puck, which then makes it kind of a four-on-three, right? And then you can use that, that extra man to move into the zone cleanly and set up the and set up a power play so instead of you know Patrick Kane just kind of trying to be a you know be a magician out there or you know Jonathan Tay is picking up the puck and trying to pass it to one of the guys coming into the blue into the into the offensive zone at the blue line it's so it's so easy to read those plays and you can just watch it on tv where it's just like a monotonous kind of cycle vicious cycle that always that's been happening for the last three or four years where this 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 dang drop pass. And you always hear like Pat Foley and Eddie Olchek talk about like, just get rid of the drop pass. Like just use your speed and, and come up the neutral zone with, with two, you know, two or three options on your right and left and use your speed to force the, the penalty killer to make a decision. Whether that be, you know, take away a pass, which they can do, which lets the person with the puck skating have a lot more room into the zone and they can skate into the zone or it forces the four shocker to, to attack the puck carry. And then you have an option to pass and then it creates a four and three into the zone it's it should definitely be something that they evolve their game and it's just maybe Patrick Kane loves getting that drop pass and you just let's just keep doing this that's what he always says but who knows like it just there needs to be a change in that and then another thing I've noticed is a lot of times we've been losing that initial face off um in the in the offensive zone once after the penalty is called and yes like Taze is an, is an amazing <laughs> it's a pretty maybe not amazing, but above average NHL faceoff uh, centerman. And it just seems like for some reason we, we just can never, can never win that first faceoff. Um, and it's obviously probably because they put their, the penalty killer as the best, the opponent puts out their best, uh, you know, the top centerman on the PK. And they just, maybe they're on their backhand or the strong side compared to, you know, sometimes Taze seems to always be on his forehand on, on power play faceoffs. And just, it's a, it's a little bit of a harder, harder faceoff when, when you're on your forehand. So maybe one thing we can try is instead of having Taze, if he's going to be on his forehand on that face-off, that opening face-off, um, maybe put someone like Dylan Strom or a person that has you could, could be on their backhand on that face-off and have a little bit of a better chance of, of winning that face-off. Because when you lose that first initial face-off, you lose about 20 to 30 seconds of that power play. Um, and it's, it's, it turns into kind of like that vicious cycle where you have to do that, keep doing that breakout and that, that, that drop pass. And it just kind of takes too much time off. Um, a lot of times right. power plays are, are converted right off the face, like right off the bat because waiting that face off kind of forces the penalty killers to ru run around and, and get into that defensive zone 
or that uh, that box formation or that penalty kill formation, whatever they're choosing to do, they have those you know five ten seconds to kind of um, attack right off the faceoff, right? And you saw that happen against the Bruins, I'm pretty sure, when uh, we won a faceoff, and within the first fifteen seconds, Gustafson and Kane kind of played catch. Uh, it forced the penalty killers to kind of run around. Gustafson got some open space in the high slot and just took a wrist shot in, in a, with the screen in front of the Strom, and he was able to tip it in. And you saw uh, the Blues do it exactly to us um, when they when they had that tip in goal. I think for the second goal against us, and that kind of like put the game away in the first period. It seemed like it was if we could have gone through that kill, it was only one nothing off a fluky bounce of a Crawford stick, and it could have been a completely different game. But that. That initial face-off is something I really need to think about maybe changing up where if Taze is going to be on his, face, his forehand, maybe add someone in there so that, that will be on his backhand and can win that face-off. And then also, uh, I was saying, talking about earlier, is we really got to consider changing up the, the breakout with that drop pass. It just it gets yeah. so monotonous, and it's just so easy for the, for the defenders to be like, okay, uh, look, they're going to drop the puck to Kane. Like, let's just <laughs> – Ooh, what are they going to do this time? It's it, everyone knows the puck is going to be going to Kane or to Brinkat or one of those two guys that have they're going to get the drop pass, and it's just so easy to read. And it's getting to the point where there's it's called it's like the, the definition is insanity, right? It's doing the same thing over and over again, but with the same results and not changing anything. And it just kind of seems a little bit insane that we haven't tried something different. Yeah. Speaking of faceoffs. It seems like the Blackhawks have not been able to really develop anybody to take those face-offs because Dylan Strom's below 50%. Uh, David yep. Kopp's below 50%. The only guy besides Taves who's above 50% is Ryan Carpenter, and even he's not a Chicago product. He developed elsewhere in terms of face-offs. What, 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 why do you see the Blackhawks as having this, that big of a problem with like uh, aspect of the game that's really vital in the, in the face-off? Yeah, and it seems like a lot in the like past five, ten years, people like a lot of analysts are, you know, just kind of like the hockey world has kind of said, you know, face offs aren't really that important, blah, blah, blah. You know, like yes, they like start they start a playoff and you can get possession right off face off if you win it. But really in reality it's not it doesn't really create that much um, you know, of a difference um when it comes to, you know, scoring goals or whatever. But I've been a center my whole life. Um I pride myself in in, in winning face offs, you know. I must have taken, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of draws in my life. Um, and they're honestly like some of the most important things uh, when it comes to a center skill set. Um, and maybe it's just the guys that we have at center right now, like David Camp and um, yeah, David Camp and Don Strom are just maybe not meant to be centers at the NHL level, right? Maybe they're, they're better suited to be wingers and we need, we need to bring in someone that has more of a center mentality. Like I remember Ryan Carpenter when he was signed um, and he was kind of his skill set was more penalty killing, you know, face offs, face face off specialist, right? I remember yeah. there was a quote where he talked about how important face offs are to him. How he knows coming to the Blackhawks, they have a lot of struggles at the face off dot, and he's gonna really pride himself in winning as many face offs as he can, and and being really strong at the face off dot. Um, so it's just I think it's that mentality where it's just like I'm gonna do anything it takes to win that face off, and it just seems like David Camp and, and Dylan Strom don't really have that center mindset. They're kind of more just let's get it over with and let's just play the game, right? But Taze and and Carpenter, you, you see this kind of different. They're like you know a little patient when they go into the zone, into the draw. They they try to set up their body and their hips kind of in a position to have a little bit of a better chance at, at winning a faceoff because a little secret as a hockey player is that 
everyone cheats on the face off, right? If you're to win a face off, most of the time you got to cheat. You got to, you got to be a little bit quicker than another person. You got to either slash the person's stick away or use your, you kind of set yourself up before the, the puck is dropped to kind of have a, a little bit of an advantage. Um, and that you can see that with Taze. That's why he gets, he gets kicked out of the, uh, the draw so often. It seems like he gets kicked out of the draw like at least seven, six, seven, eight times a game. But that's just, it's not because he's, you know, um, it's it's literally just because he's he's trying to to cheat. And I don't want and cheat is usually like a a, a bad word. Um, it's a kind of a taboo. Like cheating, that's bad. No, no. Every center does this. They they try to find ways to have a slight advantage over the other player at the faceoff dot. And maybe it's our coaching staff needs to 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 let to kind of train Camp and and Strom to have to have to use those kind of alternative methods and those kind of, you know, ch- cheating in quotation marks methods at the dot to kind of get them a little bit better. Um, they obviously are taking draws at, at practice all the time. Like you see those videos on Twitter and stuff of them taking draws at the end of practice or whatever, but maybe it's just instilling that mindset that if you want to win this draw, you're going to have to find a way to have an advantage over that other centerman, whether that be, you know, slash the slash the stick of the other centerman and, and and use your body to kind of swing around and, and protect the puck and use your skate the, to knock the puck back to the defenseman or the winger that's behind you or you're just going to have to get stronger at your for, your forearms or you have to get strong you have to work on your forearm strength and just it's all about reading when that when that ref is going to drop the puck and if you can if you can read it um, and time it where right when he's dropping that puck and using putting that motion down with his hand and you can swing your hips around and, and maybe even try and lift that, that other player's stick or slash it away, you're, you're more than likely to win that draw. So I think it's just more about maybe we need to have – get a coach that just like, has been in the NHL with a ton of experience at, this, at, at center and just kind of have him develop you – because know, we have Kirby Doc that's hopefully going to be our number one center of the future. And his his faceoff percentage right now I'm looking at is 32.7. He's he's lost yeah, he's, been he's ugly. lost 33 faceoffs and has only won 16 in his time. So like that's clearly is going to have to improve if he wants to be a number one center at the NHL level. And right. I think it's I think it really is that mindset where you just need to be thinking of ways every single faceoff. How can I beat this guy this time? How can I use my body or my hips or my my stick to to win this battle here because every single faceoff is a, is a competition is a battle between those two centermen to win the draw and get possession for the team. And you can't just go into it thinking, you know, if I just do the, the normal, the normal like squat down and bend my knees and just hope to God that my stick knocks the puck a certain way. Like you need to find ways to kind of cheat at the draw. Yeah. That, that sort of goes, then, then you start talking about the coach that sort of goes back to my half joking uh, remark that I sometimes use that Antoine Vermette should be brought in to yeah. teach the team. Honestly, faceoffs. <laughs> like I was, if I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I, I want to see what his uh, career. He was pretty high. He was he was one of the best faceoff guys. Like every season he played, he was like yeah. at, if if he's above fifty six percent, that would not surprise me. Yeah. So with when he came to Chicago in 2014-15, he had a he won he won exactly ninety eight draws versus ninety eight losses, and then with the next three years, he was 55.8%, 62.3%, and 60% um, with Anaheim and Arizona. So he, yeah. in, his whole, in, his, in the 50% with the Blackhawks was the only time he's ever been um, less like, than 51% right. in his career. Like yeah. he's, every other season, he's, above, he's like above 55%. 
he was, um, an, he was an expert at it. Yeah, and so then that, finally, I mean, yeah, yeah. that would that would be. I think that'd be a great great pickup for our coaching staff if we can find someone that is that would love to stay part of the game. And hockey guys are always going to be want to be back in the game somehow. If you look at Chris Kunitz, he's like a special assistant right now, right? To the coaching staff, he's always on at practice. Like once those guys retire, they don't really know what to do with a lot of guys at least are just like either playing men's league or they want to get back in the game somehow. They're watching tons of hockey and they're like, Oh, why not? I want to get back in this in the game somehow. So I think that'd be a great, great idea to maybe reach out to some former Blackhawks that were, you know, great centers or even just former players in the NHL that are looking for a job, um, looking to get back in the game and just someone that has, has a lot of, has a great repertoire of, of just being a great face off man. Yeah. Finally, I want to ask you, uh, sort of just the the most basic point blank question there is in terms of X's and O's uh, as someone unfamiliar with this, how do, how do plays sort of develop in this sport score, especially scoring plays and how yeah. do you see the Blackhawks enacting them? And that can be at, at even strength that can be on the power play. How do, how do these sort of plays that, that result in either a really difficult high danger chance to handle for a goaltender or a goal? How do those sort of develop? Um, it really, it all, kind of stems from a turnover or a, or a bad pass or a uh, misjudged, you know, um, you know, some t- a misjudged kind of swing by a, by a forward that kind of misplays or misreads uh, the timing of a play. And then you, it forces a turnover or a bad pass. So you, you saw, for example, there was a, I think there was a game against maybe Colorado. I think it was Colorado, but Olimato was trying to hit Zach Smith with a pass, right? He was swinging into the, into the defensive zone, kind of high near the blue line, but his he swung a little too early, and and Olimata was looking for his forehand, but because Zach Smith I think is a lefty, he was he was showing his backhand because he went a little early. The pass went right past him, right to the Colorado Avalanche guy who came in and just took a slap shot that went you know right past who like Crawford's glove or Laner's glove, and and it was a goal. So honestly, with because there's so much speed, so much skills now, and in, in the NHL, it's no longer this hook and grab and kind of slow, like developing kind of uh, game that it was in the past. Essentially, you're looking for on-man, on-man rush opportunities. And, and the way those are created is from turnovers or, you know, takeaways. And, and that is the game right now. So, and that's why this, that offensive or the defensive zone structure change where you have a little bit more of an aggressive approach with the wingers kind of getting a little higher instead of, instead of collapsing into the, into the slot. Now you have that opportunity when there's a turnover by the by the op- opponents in the defensive zone. If you can get that quick outlet pass, you can immediately create a three-on-two rush the other way or a four-on-three rush the other way if one of our defensemen joins the rush. And if you with hockey now, um, I would say that's probably the the biggest contributor to scoring chances is is takeaways or giveaways. And that's why in some of my tweets, I try to, in those period tweets, I, I like to add that stat because it really does showcase you know, who's kind of creating more, more chances. And if you, if you look at the, the team that's creating more chances, most of the time they're going to have more takeaways because those are the ones that lead to on-man rushes. And those are the ones, and on-man rushes are the ones that often lead to a high danger scoring chance or even goals. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, that does it for this edition of Monday Morning Deep Dish. I've been Shepard Price. Uh, he's been Matt Lucas. Uh, Thanks for having you. me. No, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Uh, where, where can people find your work? Of course, it's on Second City Hockey, but uh, plug your Twitter. 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter is just Matthew J at Matthew J Lucas. Um, all I've been, all, I'm still getting used to the Twitter thing. Um, I'm trying to decide what I want to do with it. Um, I've been using it to kind of just retweet a lot of our second city articles and just kind of get more exposure that way. Um, but I'm trying to decide if I want to kind of um, take that a little bit farther. So that's some, a little project that I'm, I'm going to be brainstorming about. I can try to figure out what I want to do with my Twitter. Um, so right. yeah, you can follow me there and, or just kind of continue to come to second city looking for articles. Perfect. And I, I'm, I'm at Shepard Price. Uh, we'll see you next week.